So to reiterate, my name is John. I am the executive director here, and we give Adam, our lead communicator, a couple of weeks off each year because, number one, he needs a break. Number two, you guys need a break from him. And number three, it's just good to hear from different people. So we are here today, and we are wrapping up this series called Surviving South Florida. And um, we uh, have just been kind of talking about these things that have impacted this community that we live in. Because, you know, South Florida is great, right? It's a crazy kind of a place. But the reality is that very few of us are actually from here. And I just came up here before I was talking with two girls, and they're like, oh, we're new here. I said, well, basically everybody is new here. Um, over the last couple of weeks, Adam has thrown up a map of where he is from. This is Temperance, Michigan, right? And I was able to get like an actual good map, not one from like a flight control tower. And so he says last week, you know, I'm from an area of the country that is cornfields. Really, there's nothing going on where I live. And when Caitlin and he moved down to South Florida, it was a culture shock. Right? He had no idea what to expect, and it just blew him away. But he and I are best friends, and we started this place together, but we're actually from very different parts of this country. I'm actually from Montclair, New Jersey. Here's my little town, and here's Manhattan. And so if you're a Sopranos friend, the TV show Sopranos, Montclair is where Dr. Melfi's office was located. Right? That's where Tony Soprano went. That's where the almost assassination of him happened. That is my town. That's where we're from. But I grew just 10 miles outside of New York City. And if you've ever visited Manhattan, uh, more than likely you've gone up into the Empire State Building, and they have you looking out west. And the interesting thing about Montclair, my town, got the name because it's the first clear mountain outside of New York City. So when you were looking at us, we were probably looking right back at you. So this is the shot. I put this up here because I thought it's kind of neat. From one of the parks in our town, it's actually a 9-11 monument because we lost so many on that day. But why this is so important in this picture is that you get the impression that growing up, I was in the shadows of Manhattan. The skyscrapers loomed large where we were. And even with all the craziness of Manhattan, right? Now, granted, I grew up in the 90s, so it wasn't like the Real Housewives of New York and Million Dollar Listing, but it was still pretty crazy back then. Even with all that, nothing prepared me for South Florida. And so we kind of say that there are some things that are just absolutely running wild in South Florida. And over the last three weeks, we've been talking about it. So the first week, we talked about sex. And let me just tell you something. There's nothing greater than listening to Adam Duckworth, a guy who's skinny and clothes don't fit and is obsessed with Disney, giving you sex advice. This is what you need in your life. Um, but we all, we made it through that day, all right? So we got through that day. And the following week, we talked about partying, right? Because this is a major issue in our community. And we just kind of said, look, listen, there's nothing wrong with having a good time because certainly we live in South Florida, right? It's Margaritaville down here. Every, you know, it's 5 o'clock somewhere. And it's okay to have fun. What we want to do is we want to make sure that we're just responsible with having fun, right? That doesn't lead us to make sinful or unwise decisions. But today we're going to wrap up by talking about this one topic that I believe really has a strangle on our community. Before we throw it up on the board, uh, I just want to kind of intro it by way of a story. So when I moved to South Florida, I came in 2004, and I came right down out of college. And I just immediately happened to run into this guy, and we hit it off. And this guy happened to be one of the owners of Mansion Nightclub. Shoot, I shouldn't have said the name. I wasn't supposed to. Anyway, pretend like you didn't hear that. Okay. So this nightclub, if you're not familiar with it, was one of the hottest places in South Beach in the early 2000s. And it was considered to be one of not only the greatest club in Miami, in America, but in the world. It was huge. And this guy was one of the owners. 
And he said to me, hey, Johnny, you know, you're new to this town. You moved here Monday. This is now like Thursday. He goes, I want you to come down to Mansion and sit at my table with me because Paris Hilton is going to be there this weekend, and she's hosting the party, and I just think it's going to be a great way for you to figure out what it's like to live in South Florida. So I went out, bought myself like a cool pair of jeans, like a nice shirt, because up until this point, all I wore were khakis and polos because I went to school in North Carolina. <laughs> so I went down there. And I'm just like, don't, like, eyes are huge. And I'm sitting at his table. And it's right in the middle of the dance floor. And it's me, and it's the owner, and it's this absolutely gorgeous, like, South Beach model. And if you've been down there, you know the type. I don't need to describe it. But if there were police sketch artists here, I could describe her, and they'd pick her up in about five minutes. Anyway, so it was like, so we're standing there, and it's getting later in the night. And she says to him, hey, let me ask you a question. And she reaches over, and she taps him on his watch. She goes, why do you have such an expensive watch? And so the watch that he was wearing, just so you know, was a solid yellow gold Rolex encrusted in diamonds. Very understated. You mean very understated piece of jewelry. And he looks at her and does not bat an eye and he goes, because I can't drive my Ferrari into the club. I was like, oh my God. I was like, we are not in Kansas anymore because if someone, number one, thinks this way, that's one thing. If you actually say it out loud, that's a whole other thing. So today, we're going to be talking about materialism. Because if you live in South Florida, this can be a real issue for us. Listen, we are surrounded by mega yachts in this town. We are surrounded by exotic cars and fancy restaurants and just like gorgeous clothing and all the kind of stuff that can lure you in. And when you think about ourselves and really this community, you've kind of got two groups. You have the haves, right? And you kind of have the have-nots. And if you don't have the stuff, maybe you just don't care. But at the end of the day, it does kind of impact the way that you perceive the world around you. So as we're talking about materialism, I think it's, number one, important to have a definition of what we're talking about here. So dictionary.com, which of course is one of the greatest websites, says that materialism is this, a tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort as more important than spiritual values. Basically. It's saying that you are defined by what you have. You are defined by what you have, whether it's money or house or cars or clothes, whatever the case they may be, this is more important to you than spiritual values. This is more important to you than perhaps having a relationship with God. This is more important to you than perhaps having a relationship with other people and giving back. So if you've been at church for any length of time or just really been in America for any length of time, you have heard this phrase, that money is the root of all evil. Often you hear people say, well, you know, the Bible says money is the root of all evil, right? And we were thinking about it this week, that if money is the root of all evil, then possessions are also the root of all evil. But here's the thing about this idea about money being the root of all evil. About a year or so ago, we did a sermon series called It's Not In There. And we talked about these things that people believe are in the Bible, and they have created entire theologies around these things that actually aren't in there. And we talked about money being the root of all evil. And here's what the Bible actually says, because I think it's important just to go back for a moment. In 1 Timothy, it says this, For the love of money is the root of all evil, of all kinds of evil, pardon me. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So the Bible never once says, hey, money is the root of all evil. What it does say is it's the love of money is the root of all evil. 
So here at DHC, we kind of always want to ask some questions, but when we're talking about money, when we're talking about possessions and all that kind of stuff, we want to ask this question. What did Jesus have to say about this, right? And the reason we want to ask, why did Jesus, pardon me, what did Jesus have to say about this is because we here at DHC believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We believe that he is who he says that he is. And if he is, in fact, the Son of God, if he did, in fact, die so that we can be right with God, we want to know, what did he say? Because people back then also wanted to know what Jesus had to say about this issue. Now, we're going to spend the rest of our time in the book of Luke. And, and it's an interesting kind of couple of paragraphs because it starts off with a conversation and historical um, accounts and leads into a parable. So in Luke 12, verses 13 through 21, and we're not going to read all this today. We're just going to kind of jump around to the more pertinent verses. Someone called out from the crowd. Now, earlier on, we learned that it is so crowded that day. People have surrounded Jesus with so many people, they're actually tripping over one another. So someone called out from the crowd, teacher, that's talking to Jesus, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. He's basically saying, look, listen, my dad has died recently and there is an inheritance and I want some. My brother's controlling it and I need you, Jesus, the son of God, can you put in a good word for me? And Jesus basically says, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such a thing? He's basically saying, this is not my job. This is not my job to do what you're asking. But Jesus never loses an opportunity to educate people. So he goes on, and he says this to him. Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. He's saying life is not measured by how much you own. Basically, he's saying, remember, this life isn't about what you have. So he's made this point, but he goes on, because now he wants to further the point. Now he wants to educate us about how to begin thinking about that which you do have. So he tells a parable, tells a story. Now, if you don't know what a parable is, Jesus often taught in parables. And a parable is a fictional story that Jesus made up to tell a real truth. So he tells them a story, and he says this. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And then he said, oh, I know. I'm going to tear down my barns, and I'm going to build bigger ones. Then I'm going to have enough room to store up all my wheat and other goods. Basically, he's gloating. He's saying here, like, listen, I got, I got so much cash that PNC down the block can't hold it all. I've got to actually make some kind of shed in the back to store it for me. He's gloating. He goes on, and he says, I'm going to sit back, and I'm going to say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now, Take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now, Jesus kind of throws a curveball at him, and he says this. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying this. Listen, there's nothing wrong with having stuff. And there's nothing wrong with having really nice stuff. But at the end of the day, when you take your last breath, you can't take it with you. My grandfather, who was a pastor, once said, I've done a lot of funerals, John, and I've never seen a U-Haul in the funeral procession. <laughs> you, you just, you can't take it with you, right? And Jesus is saying, if you can't take it with you, okay, and you don't have a right relationship with God, then when it's all over and when you close your eyes, you have nothing. It begs the question, what does it mean to have a right relationship with God? 
Well, here at DHC, we believe a couple of things. Number one, we believe that if you want to have a right relationship with God like Jesus is talking about, number one, you've got to get to a place in your life where you say yes to Jesus, where you finally say, I think I do believe that Jesus is who he says that he is, that he died and was raised from the death to make me right with God. I believe that. I've said yes. And once you've said yes, Jesus gives us two commands. He says, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what he wants for us. And that's how he says we are to have a right relationship with God. But Jesus is not done. Because then Jesus flips the script. He flips the script. Because when we hear a parable about a guy having so much money that he's got to build, uh, pardon me, so much grain that he's got to build a shed for it, right? And we start talking about possessions and luxury items and all this kind of stuff, we begin to think about the ultra-wealthy, right? Because they're the ones who have too much. They're the ones that are relying on their money and not thinking about God. And Jesus knew this. He knew that that crowd at the time was thinking that way. And so he flips the script. And you know what he said? Because he is now talking to another group in that crowd. And it's one of the more famous scripture verses. And he's talking to a group of people that are afraid that they don't have enough money. They're afraid that they don't even have enough food for tomorrow. And they're afraid that they don't even have enough clothing. And it's called the worry section. And Jesus talks to them and he says, don't worry about anything, what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat. I'm going to take care of you. Do not worry. I'm going to take care of you. So now, he is speaking to this group. He's looking them in the eyes, this group that are afraid that they don't have enough. And you know what he said? Sell your possessions. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. And this is going to store up treasure for you in heaven. Because wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Hold on. Jesus, I just told you that I'm afraid that I don't have enough for tomorrow. I just told you that I barely have enough money, and you're telling me to sell the very little that I do have? Yes, that's what he's saying. Because the point that Jesus is trying to make here is that it's actually not about the money. It's about your heart. It's about your heart. Because whether you have a tremendous amount of money or whether you have a little bit amount of money, if you are so enslaved by it, then you cannot have the heart of Jesus. And he doesn't want you to be worrying about it. He does not want you to be relying on it. Because so many of us, particularly when we don't have enough, are grasping so hard on it that we can't give back to those in need. And so Jesus challenges you. Listen, if it's going to take you who have little to get your mind and heart in the right place, I'm going to tell you to sell it all. Why? Because materialism is a tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort more important than spiritual values. It doesn't matter whether you have a ton. It doesn't matter whether you have a little bit. Because if you're obsessed and enslaved by material possessions, either the acquisition thereof or the lack thereof, then your mind and your heart is not where Jesus wants it to be, spiritual values. So Adam and I were talking this week about how do we kind of make this very practical? Because Jesus made this really practical for these people by saying, go and sell your stuff. If that's going to change their heart, how do we try to change our own heart? And so we came up with this thing we call the materialism test. Now, it's a little rough around the edges because I think Jesus was a little rough around the edges when he told people to sell their stuff. But here's who I want taking this material test. If you're in the room and you've said yes to Jesus, you're the person I want taking this material test. If you have not done that yet, that's fine. We want you here anyway. And I think you can learn from this because even if you don't believe that Jesus is who he says that he is, you can still put his teaching into practice and be better for it. But if you said yes to Jesus, 
and you believe that your life has been changed because of what he has done, that means your heart has been changed. That means that you are now to have the heart of Jesus. And we know what he says the heart of Jesus is supposed to look like, to not rely on your money and to give back to others. So here's the materialism test. You ready? Does your checkbook match your new heart? Does your checkbook manage your new heart? Meaning, do you give? Here's how it looks. You know that little register in the back of your checkbook where every time you write a check, you write back there what it means? My wife is always like, why are you, what are you writing back there for? I said, I don't know. My mom told me to do it, so I still do it. That register in the end of the month, right? Or even better, your credit card statement. If you were to look back at your credit card statement or your check register, let me ask you a question. At any point, would you see something that is involved in giving back to another person? At any point, are you giving back to, let's say, your kid's school? If they have a fundraiser, are you helping out with what you have, right? At any point, are you giving back to local ministry, right? Here's, put it more generally. At any point, are you doing anything with what your possessions, with what God has given you to advance the kingdom of God? Or does your checkbook register and your credit card statement, is it all about you? Is it dinners? Is it shopping? Is it a new car? Is it a new watch? At any point, does it reflect the new heart that you are supposed to have had that Jesus gave you? The new heart that you got when you said yes to Jesus? Because if you don't see any of that reflected in your finances, you may have a problem. So what do we do with this? We put this word up on the screen called the practical. And every week, if you're new here, we always put this word up on the screen, practical, because we believe that so often people go to a church service and they say, oh, that was good, but like, what do you do with it? What do you do with what you've heard? So every week we put this up because we want you guys to leave today and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So number one, your first practical is this. I need you guys to take an honest look at how you value your possessions. Are you someplace in your life where you've lived a life where you say, it's all about the acquisition of more, and I am defined by everything that I own, and I constantly chase after it? Maybe you're a person who's lived a life who said, money is the root of all evil, and I eschew it. What I want you to leave today is thinking about what has Jesus said about things. And he said, things don't matter. It doesn't matter if you drive a phenomenal car or you can't afford one. It's about your heart and getting your heart right. So take an honest look at how you value your possessions. And this next one is a little bit more complicated, and it's called loosening your grip and beginning to give, even if it's small. There's this word, and we don't use it often around here, but it's called stewardship. And it's, it's a biblical word, but it's this idea that you are the caretaker of something. And from the beginning of the Bible to the end, God often talks about money. In fact, people say he talks about it more than anything else because he knew it's something that his kids, his children, us, would struggle with. And time and time again, he talks about this concept of stewardship, this idea that everything that you have in your life from your breath in your lungs, to the penny in your pocket, to the opportunities you experience on a day, to vacation, everything is because of him. Nothing is actually ours. We are just stewards of it. And the reason he tells us this, the reason he wants us to understand the concept of stewardship is that when you don't realize, pardon me, when you realize that it's not ours, it's a very freeing sensation. When you realize that everything you have is not yours and it's there because of God, now, don't miss this. It's a difficult concept to grasp because you're the person waking up at 6 a.m. working. You're the person putting all the hard work in, so you say, no, this is mine. What are you saying? I understand. But God is the person who gave you the opportunity and the intellect to do what you do 
to make a living. Everything we have is because of him. So the question is, what are you going to do with what you have? Lastly, it's this, and I think it's a powerful one. It's this idea of actually being thankful for what you do have. I was on Instagram this week. Um, I'm basically on Instagram all the time, but this week particularly, I saw this thing come across the screen, and I was like, wow, that is very pertinent to today. And it said this, what if you woke up today with only the things you thanked God for yesterday? What if you woke up today with only the things you thanked God for yesterday? And I was like, oh my God, I wouldn't have very much. And, and I like to think of myself as being a very grateful and thankful person, but I don't really sit back and think about life that way. But the fact of the matter is that if you are alive in America, even if you're flat broke, you are wealthy when you are compared to the other people in this world. I think we need to get to a place, particularly in this city, where we begin to be more thankful for the things that we actually do have and actually start being content with the things that we do have. Because speaking about Instagram, when you look at the stuff your friends have and all that crazy stuff, you begin to question the stuff you do have. You don't appreciate as much. Let's get to a place where we're thankful for what we do have. In my devotions this week, and devotions are just kind of a really Christianese word. I can't believe I said that. When you spend some time reading the Bible, and I was actually reading um, from the letter to Timothy. And the reason I like this letter to Timothy so much is that this guy named Paul, who we've spoken a lot about here, Paul was a man, was a Jewish leader, and he spent most of his life persecuting Christians and sometimes killing them. And then one day, he had an experience where he met Jesus and his life was changed, and he became one of the most important Christians that ever was. And he went on to write half of the New Testament. And in the letter to Timothy, he was writing to a young pastor. And I often think about myself in this scenario, because I, as a 35-year-old guy, and Adam, as a 35-year-old guy, we're young guys in this game. And Paul is writing to this young pastor named Timothy, and he's saying, hey, this church that you're running, here's what I want you to do. And he says this, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is just so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. He goes on, tell them to use their money to do good, and they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. And by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. I mean, that's how he describes experiencing true life. I think the best way for us at DHC here to kind of wrap it up in a bottom line, so to speak, is this. Don't wrap your life up with stuff. It's eventually all going to fade away. I mean, like Jesus said early on, ain't nothing wrong with stuff. And you should enjoy the stuff that you do have, but realize this, when it's all said and done, when you take your last breath, you can't take it with you. And the only thing that matters is having a right relationship with God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for the opportunity that we could be here today. Talking about being thankful, I want to thank you for this church that we have, that you have allowed us to have a building to meet in, allow us to have screens to look at, music instruments to play, God, that we could come here and learn more about you. God, I pray that today we are challenged by this, Lord. If we suffer in this area, God, I pray that you would challenge us and begin to transform our minds and our hearts to the way that you would have us look at our possessions, God. And I pray, Lord, that we would take that step to begin 
small and to begin giving back to others, Lord, and begin helping to advance your kingdom. Lord, we put all of this in your son's Jesus' name.